Thanks, David. Well, David's uh, given you a wee bit of explanation about what we're seeking to do tonight. And uh, let me just say that I'm going to be speaking just now. Uh, then we're going to take a few minutes break. During that break, you can either, uh, you can, if you want, you can head on. That's absolutely up to you. Or you can maybe write a question in relation to what I've spoken about tonight or any of the other items that we've touched on in the last few weeks in this series uh, as we think about Facebook. And then we'll reconvene immediately after that, and we've got a sheet that was available for everybody, which is some questions for you to reflect on in your own hearts and lives as well, just like the encounter folks would be doing on a normal Sunday night as well, okay? We'll keep you right along the way, so don't panic, and if you do have to slip on earlier than that, that's absolutely fine, and there will be normal tea and coffee, hopefully around the, the same time as we finish out together. We're going to read in God's Word to set the scene tonight from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're on to the next few verses in this chapter that speak about uh, Enoch. So Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read together uh, verses 5 and 6. Let's hear God's word. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Tonight we're going to be thinking about one of the Bible's most mysterious characters. We read about him in three books of the Bible. We've just read about him in the book of Hebrews in those couple of verses. We also read about Enoch in the very first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And he's also referenced in the little letter of Jude, the penultimate book in the New Testament. The Jews absolutely loved Enoch because Enoch supposedly had written a book about apocalypse, the end times. It was attributed to him and the Jews were absolutely obsessed with the end times and with angels and demons and what that would look like. And because he had such a mysterious end to his life, the Jews, well, he was something of a hero to them. But the greatest point of interest is what's recorded for us in Hebrews 11 and verse 5. Do you see it there? Enoch did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Along with Elijah, he is one of only two people in God's word who did not die. But that's not all. Enoch is only one of two characters on the Bible of whom we read, he walked with God. I almost be tempted to offer a prize to anyone who could tell me who the other one was. Any guesses? Pardon? No. Abraham. Very good. And he is also one of only two characters in the Bible of whom it was said he pleased God. Does anyone know who the other one was? Jesus. Jesus. So Enoch is in very good company, isn't he? 
He didn't die. God took him. He walked with God and he pleased God. And in verse 5 of Hebrews 11 tells us that Enoch lived by faith. Let's get going with the first of our points tonight. A quick word about faith. A quick word about faith. All of these snappy stories that we read in Hebrews 11, this great list that we read, are given as examples to the Hebrew church in the New Testament. Now, why is that really important? Let me explain this to you, why it was so important at this time that they had to live by faith. First of all, if you were a Hebrew Christian, you were being persecuted from your own people because previously you'd been a Jew, but now you were accepting Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So that meant you stood out from the rest because all the other Jews were still waiting for the Messiah and they had crucified Jesus because they believed he was a false teacher. So you were immediately identifying yourself with the one that they'd wanted rid of. So you're persecuted from your own people. But on the other side, you were also being persecuted by the Romans, the authorities, those who were in charge. Why? Because not only you were acknowledging Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, you were saying Jesus is Lord. In other words, Jesus is King. And to the Romans, there was only one King, and that was the Caesar. So they were being persecuted by their own people, as well as being persecuted by the people who had invaded and taken over their land. So they needed someone or someone to tell them how to live by faith in persecution. Life was difficult. And that's why I want to say a quick word about faith at the beginning tonight. Because for many of us who have grown up in the church, whether this one or another fellowship, we've got so used to that word that we've lost what it really means. It's easy to say, oh yes, I have faith. I believe what the Bible says. In fact, I doubt there's anyone here in Union Routine who wouldn't say that they believe what the Bible says. And even amongst our young people who meet and encounter week by week and study the Bible would probably nod their head and agree that yes, they believe what the Bible says. Maybe this is something even you're desperately trying to work through at the minute. Yes, I believe all that. You nod in agreement. You believe that God created the world. Good. You believe that you're a sinner. Good. You believe that Jesus died on the cross. Good. You believe that Jesus rose again. Great. You believe that Jesus is Lord. Yes. Nod, 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 agree, agree, agree. And that takes us to the heart of this chapter, the heart of our Christian lives. Because that's not enough. Faith isn't just knowing. Faith is doing. Faith isn't just believing. Faith is being. Now, some of us with our deeply held Protestant views that justification is by faith alone, that is, we do not earn our own salvation but rely upon Christ to save us, get very nervous at this point. But what I'm asking is, what is the faith that saves us? What is the faith that saves us? How do we know it's there? What does it look like? In the Bible, faith is more than just nodding your head and saying, I believe. But sadly, that's what we've reduced it to. But according to the Bible, it's much more than that. True faith always responds. The faith that saves us begins by responding, first of all, to what Christ has done. But true faith does not end there. But sadly, for many thousands, it has ended there. 
You may have heard the two desperately sad stories that maybe I've related at different times. The first was a minister who discovered that a young man in his early 20s in the church youth group had been sleeping around with lots of girls in the church. And when challenged, the young man folded his arms in utter defiance and said to the minister, listen, I signed a card and prayed a prayer when I was 12 at a mission, so I know I'm going to heaven. But until then, I can live how I want, so you stick to your own views. Or the old elder who had a reputation around the town for being one of the most obnoxious characters in the whole area for the way he spoke to people and treated people. And whenever the young minister in a new charge challenged him, he said, I came to faith whenever I was 32. But when the minister asked him, and what have you done since then? That's an extreme example, but it makes the point. If we are arm-folding, I'm not for changing type, then we're not Christians. You're not a Christian. You couldn't be. Unless faith changes us, we don't have saving faith. If we are 30 or 50 or 70, and we are just a grown-up version of what we were 20 years ago, then we've got to ask ourselves the question, do we have saving faith? How do I know faith changes us and causes us to act? Well, that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Because every single one of the characters in Hebrews chapter 11 does something because of faith. Let me throw a few out. Last week we learned that Abel worshipped God. Enoch tonight walked with God. Noah built for God. Abraham obeyed God. Isaac blessed. Joseph spoke. Moses led. Rahab welcomed. Faith changed how they did life. If faith in Jesus Christ does not change you, then you do not have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews 11 is teaching us. Bishop J.C. Ryle writes about this saying, as believers, religion does not consist in mere intellectual assent to a certain set of doctrines. It consists in a union, communion, and fellowship with an actual living person. It is a life of faith in Jesus, a life of confidence in Jesus, leaning on Jesus, speaking to Jesus, working for Jesus, loving Jesus. Friends, that is what is true saving Christian faith. One which loves, learns, and leans in Jesus. It's a daily knowing and doing with and for Jesus. There will be evidence of that in our lives. True faith will always shine through. Always. That's a quick word about faith. So now we can turn and see, well, what does faith look like in the life of this chap, Enoch? God is so good, isn't he? God is so, so good. Why is he so, so good? Because God is not like the boring teachers at school who simply say, go off and read that in the textbook. God gives us almost like videos and examples after example after example. And he's given us a whole list in Hebrews 11 to tell us what faith looks like. And tonight we've got one more. It's Enoch, who had a long walk with God. A long walk with God. When Enoch appears in the Bible for the first time, it's in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. So it's worth flicking back that very first book in the Bible to read a few of those verses. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. It's on page 7 in the church Bibles if you're near one. Genesis 5, verse 21. 
And don't lose your finger in Hebrews 11 at the same time. We read there, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Just scan your eye around the rest of that chapter for a more moment because this story of Enoch bucks the trend of the whole chapter of chapter 5. For whilst we read of Adam, look how long Adam lived, 930 years, Seth 912, Enosh 905, Canaan 910. I mean, trying to give, imagine whenever it was those guys' birthdays and they were giving them the bumps. Your arms would have been out of the sockets, wouldn't they, when you get to about 201, 202 and the fire brigade would have been on standby every time they had a birthday with all those candles on top. But the most tragic thing we read is despite these long, long lives, look at verse 5, and he died. Verse 8, and he died. Verse 11, and he died. Verse 14, and he died. It was almost like the church bell rung for each funeral, and he died, and he died, and he died. Hardly happy reading in Genesis, which is called the book of beginnings. And he died, and he died, and he died. With every new life, there will be another death. Not a reality. With every new life, that means there's another one who's going to die. Genesis 1 and 2 reminds us that death is not how it was meant to be. We were meant to run and reign with God in the garden forever. But remember, we chose not to. We chose with Adam what we thought knew, we knew best. Went looking for something greater than God who had given us everything and we still do it today. God said, don't. And we said, well, we'll do it anyway. God said, it will all end in tears. And we said, well, we'll take the risk. God said, I'm warning you. And we shrugged our shoulders and said, well, I'm sure it'll be all right. God said, there'll be death and we said, well, I'll live my life my way. And we still suffer as a consequence today. That sadness reaches down to us from ancient history. Whatever age we will be when we take our final breath, the one thing I know for certain for each of you, even though I don't know all of you, is we'll die. We'll die. But into this story of human sadness, which highlights humanity's disobedience, where we don't go God's way, in walks one man. And we read in verses 22 to 24 of Genesis 5, twice Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. The idea of walking with someone speaks to us of a closeness, doesn't it? Something personal. Now, we've got some of our younger folks here tonight. I'd like you to help me with something, Okay. Any willing volunteers to help me with something? I haven't told you what it is, but any willing volunteers to help me with something? Go on. Normally on a Sunday morning, I'm inundated. Who's going to help me with something this evening? Daniel, you help me? Okay. Daniel, do you want to get a, a friend as well to help you? Who's willing to help Daniel? Who's going to help Daniel? Your sister, right? Okay. Right, stay where you are, we second Daniel. Amy, your sister's going to help you. That's, that's very commendable that you've gone for your sister. You know, right? Guys, you see something just now. It's not that Lindsay was extra hungry tonight. 
but there's something just above where the keyboard sits. And I think between the two of you, could you get it for me? Okay, between the two of you, can you get it? Do you see what I'm talking about? Sitting above the keyboard? Right, between the two of you, can you get it for me? Go ahead. How are you going to do it? <laughs> it's as well the browns are tall, isn't it? That's great. Right? And your prize is... Sorry, those are empty. But uh, I'll give you an extra biscuit at the coffee time. Thanks, guys. Interesting. Daniel chose a friend to go with him. They both had to go to the same place. Daniel seemed keener. But Amy did the heavy lifting in the end, didn't she? There's something so much more comforting and beneficial whenever you're with someone when you've got an aim in mind, isn't there? <clears throat> Every morning when I'm dropping Rosie to school, we see a lady. We don't know her name, but we affectionately call her the walker. Every day we see the walker. She walks, she parks the car in the same spot, she gets out at the same time, and every day she walks the same route. But there's something that we've noticed over time. She is usually by herself, but on wet and windy days, she has a friend with her. Now, whether that's just complete coincidence, or maybe it's planned, because it's easier to be motivated in the wind and the rain when there's someone to go with you. Whenever two agree to walk the same route when it rains and the wind is blowing, the determination to push on and complete the circuit, the walker gets help whenever the going is tough. Enoch is the Old Testament's walker who walked with God. For when we walk with someone, it implies three things that weren't necessarily modeled by Daniel and Amy tonight. We are usually heading to the same place, taking the same path, and moving at the same pace. The first one we want to think about is walking at the same pace, because Enoch was walking at the same pace as God. In other words, he was in step with his creator, God. He was able to walk with him. Now listen, he didn't run. He didn't sprint. It wasn't a dive. It wasn't a drive, it was a walk. Walking is a steady rhythm. And this walk was not just for a leg of a race or part of a relay and inspired by a few years in Enoch's life. Enoch walked for, how many years did we read? 300 years with God. He didn't walk with God for a little bit this week and then didn't go anywhere the next week. Or do a wee bit today, but he couldn't be bothered tomorrow. He walked consistently with God for 300 years at the same pace. It reminds me of what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 25, that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Which means live a life that pleases him every day. It's not something weird. It's simply doing what pleases him day after day after day after day. We also realize that he took the same path as God. For we can only know true fellowship with God when we please him. 
And when we come to him by faith and walk that same path of faith. As Enoch looked around the world and saw how wicked it had become and how it ignored God, he must have been very hurt. How did I know the world had become increasingly wicked? Well, Genesis chapter 5 is where we read about Enoch. Who can tell me who we're introduced to in Genesis chapter 6? Noah, what happened with the world? Wiped out. Why? Because of the wickedness of mankind that had reached God's nostril, the stench of sin had reached God's nostril. He could have it no more. And the world was wicked. So the world was bad. The world was in a terrible state. People were turning their backs against God everywhere. And yet, this man stood out and walked on and walked far with God. He knew God's heart. He knew God's goodness. He loved every reminder with every step. And he walked every day with God by his grace. Enoch knew that he did not deserve such grace from God. But he lived day after day with it and in it and surrounded by it. Now here's a bit of a challenge for you. I need your help with this. Genesis chapter 5 verse 21. What age was he when he began his walk? 65. I think that's a very interesting number these days, isn't it? 65 these days. What are you thinking of? Retirement. And he was just getting going. It's a time when most people think about quitting. But here, Enoch gets going. Stepping out and stepping on. There was no retirement with Enoch. Something changed at that time in Enoch's life. That was the time when he began to walk with God. Yes, it was also the same year in which Methuselah, his son, was born. But he came to faith at that point, which resulted in a new direction. Life took an altogether different path. In other words, there was a change. Now, some of the guys who have been with me in our uh, men's Bible study on Saturday morning will be laughing about this because we're talking about this a lot the last time, all about God's will. We often think that God's will in the Bible is like a career's advice, that this is the direction you're to go, that you're to be a doctor or a teacher or a solicitor, or you continue on in the family farm, or you're to do this or that or whatever. That's God's will. I'm seeking God's will. What direction? But God's will in the Bible is always simply obeying him. It's obedience. In fact, God isn't really that worried whether you're a farmer or a pharmacist, work in a factory or you're a teacher. But what he is interested in is whether you obey him wherever you are. And we're not told what job Enoch did. We don't know. But he walked on and he kept walking. He filled his days and his minds with God's presence and rejoiced in God's goodness. Here was a man who lived every moment with God and for God in the presence of God. He looked to God in everything. He praised him for his food. He delighted in God for his family. He rejoiced in God for his energy. He blessed God for his work. He reveled in God's forgiveness because he knew he needed God's grace. He was filled with the sense of God's presence. There was hardly a minute where Enoch's thoughts were not on God and who he is and what he calls us to. I mean... Maybe this is a good time to stop and think. Let me ask you a very direct question tonight. How's your walk with God? We need to reverse for some of us. Have you begun your walk with God? And for others here tonight, maybe you've begun that walk, but 
you haven't kept up. You've been distracted down different paths this way or that way by the bright lights, by the other opportunities, and you've been completely distracted. The other thing we noticed that's very interesting, just as a sideline, was Enoch wasn't just a walker with God. He was a talker about God. How do I know that? Well, Jude chapter 1 tells us that. Let me just read it to you. You don't need to turn to it. And we read in Jude chapter 1 verse 14, See the Lord is coming. These are the words of Enoch. See the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and all of the defiant works ungodly sinners have spoken against them. It sounds very much like Enoch is someone who warned people about God's coming judgment. So he walked with God, but as he walked with God, he talked about God. And remember, these were the very early days of human society, so the people he talked with most about the coming judgment of God were his family, his brothers, his cousins, his aunts, his uncles, his nephews, his nieces. He talked with them constantly about the coming judgment of God. Over time, becoming increasingly aware that God would return and judge everyone. And remember when Enoch spoke, he warned them and he warned them clearly with tears in his eyes and a deep sadness in his heart that his family were not walking with God. In fact, this is actually recorded in a very simple way through the name that he gave his most famous son. We've read about him already tonight. Who is Enoch's most famous son? What's famous about Methuselah? Longest man that ever lived. 969 years, oldest man ever recorded. Do you know what the name Methuselah means? When he dies, it will come. That's what the name Methuselah means. When he dies, it will come. What will come? The flood. The flood. So even after Enoch was taken away by God, Methuselah was a walking, living reminder to everyone else in society that after Methuselah died, judgment would come. And isn't it interesting, isn't a mark of God's grace to us and to society that it was the longest man who ever lived who was given that name? So for a thousand years, God's people were being daily warned that judgment was coming. And how many were saved in the end? out of a thousand years of warning. Some of you are sitting here tonight and you've had 10 years of warning, 30 years of warning, 50 years of warning, maybe even 80 years of warning, and your chances are running out. But one day, they'll be gone. Let's be like Enoch, and as we walk, Let's talk and warn others that a judgment is coming. 
if we really do love our friends, our family, and our neighbors, the most loving thing we will do is warn them. And for those of you who aren't yet in Christ, this isn't just a warning to thieves or terrorists, but to each of us. Enoch says you either walk God's way or you go your own way. Enoch's ending is bizarre. It's so strange, isn't it? Because we cannot imagine what it would be like just walking straight from earth into God's presence, from knowing God to then seeing God just in a moment. And that's where we think about our third thing within this section, the place where he was walking. All the way along, Enoch was heading to the same place as his God. And that must have been in his mind, the closer he walked with God and knew of God and talked with God and prayed to God and heard from God, it was just, he might as well have been in heaven. Such was the relationship that he had. I don't know whether many of you, I think probably quite a few of you have done likes of Duke of Edinburgh awards and you've done camping or you've done walking and you've gone far with people and you know, the more you're with people, you very quickly come to realize who in the group prefers Twixes to Mars bars and who prefers Coke to 7-Up and who prefers X to Y and all. You know, the longer you're with them, the more you know what they like and the more you know what they don't like. And friends, the longer we walk with God, the more we come to know what he loves and what he hates. The sins that we have that we need to put aside and the things that he wants to change in us that we know we've got to set aside. The more you walk, the more we'll respond. And there's no doubt that Enoch was moved by walking with God, touched by walking with God, knew what saddened God, what pleased God, and so on. He became so heavenly-minded, he might as well have been in heaven itself. What a picture of such a godly man. As one Sunday school child once described it, and I think this is a great description, she went home and told mum and dad what she'd been learning in Sunday school that day. And she said, oh, we were thinking about Enoch today. He walked so far with God that when God looked round and saw how far he had come, God said, well, Enoch, you might as well come on to my house and stay. You've come this far. I think it's a lovely picture, isn't it? You might as well just step on in. You've walked this far. And you see, Enoch's life is a reminder to us of what Jesus said in that most famous of passages, John chapter 14, where the disciples are all anxious about where Jesus is going. He says, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Flustered and confused, Thomas asked, how are we going to get there? How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the path. I'm the path. Walk at my pace. Walk my way, obey my commands, keep in step with me, and you'll be with me. And you will come home to my place forever. What a reassurance. Which leads me on to my third and my briefest of all my points tonight. A genuine search for God. Let's look at Hebrews 11 verse 6 that says, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith pleases God. Without faith, you cannot please God. In other words, no faith in life, no place with God and death. 
We've almost come full circle tonight, haven't we? That's where we started. No faith in life, no place with God in death. The Christian life is a steady reliance on God, a daily walk. And so what does it look like? A genuine search for God in everyday life, knowing that he's there, that God is, living in the knowledge of a God who gave us life, created this world, offers us salvation, and also that one day will judge us. In awe of how great his living in the light of his grace, trusting in Christ for his mercy. And from there he asks of us, listen to me in my word, the Bible, talk to me as you pray, do life with me every day in obedience, because that is the outworking of your faith. I think we expect so little from God, we have such a lack of anticipation from God. You know, if we come to church or our personal devotions not expecting to be moved or to hear God's word, we will come with closed ear and unresponsive hearts. If you just kind of turn like, oh, see him again. Mm. Whereas if we come expecting, God will speak. If we come prepared, we will hear. If we come open, we will be changed. If we have all but giving up praying every day, we're effectively saying, doesn't do me any good. Hasn't worked for me. Didn't sort me out in my crisis. God mustn't be there. But one of the great themes, if I could summarize the whole book of Hebrews for you in three words, it's this, never give up. Never give up. For God is not finished with us yet. Let me tell you why. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this. It's on the screen. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that tremendous? We don't need to give up. Why? Because there's a throne of grace that we can go to. There we'll receive mercy and we will get help in our times of need. Never give up. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who have come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Why should you never give up? Because Jesus is sitting in heaven tonight and he's praying for you. Praying for you. Never give up. Hebrews 10, verses 22 and 23. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Never give up. Never give up. Do those verses tell you of the kind of Savior who doesn't care? Not at all. Which brings us back to where we started. What is faith? Faith is not just nodding at the facts. Faith is letting the facts draw us into this daily dynamic relationship with God. I know for the first time in decades, Liverpool fans think this really is their season. And it probably is, barring some catastrophic disaster, which we hope doesn't happen. But what is the theme that has held that city and that football club together over the years of sadness? In my lifetime, the Heysel Stadium disaster, the Hillsborough tragedy, 
that resonates a lot with me. I was actually at a busy football match the day of the Hillsborough disaster, and we were picking up pieces of what was coming through on the radios. What a terrible day that was. Never mind the severe deprivation of the northwest of England during the 80s and the 90s. What is it that has held that city together? A song. Originally written for the stage show Carousel, but most famously recorded by the Liverpudlian band Jerry and the Pacemakers in 1963. It's the song You'll Never Walk Alone. It's the most famous of Liverpool manager Bill Shankly once said to Jerry Marsden of Jerry and the Pacemakers, I have given you a football team, but you have given us a song. Yes, it's a, it's a sentimental song, but it pulls at the heartstrings because none of us ever wants to walk alone. All of us want to live with some kind of hope in our hearts. But Hebrews 11 tells us how, or rather, who. Because Hebrews speaks of faith which acts. A faith that walks with Jesus and talks with Jesus because of the salvation, the welcome, the love, and the acceptance that we have with Jesus. Our God has given us a faith in Christ. Let our lives be that daily song, and let us walk on holding unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And that holding on, even through the wind and the rain, is faith in action. That's walking with God. That's walking at his pace and heading for his place. Friends, walk on walk on. Let me pray. Father, we come to your throne of grace, the only place where we can find mercy, for you alone are an altogether good father, a faithful father. And Lord, our simple prayer tonight would be increase our faith May we not just say that we believe, but show us how to live by faith. Teach us to walk your path. Show us how to go at your pace. May we feel your rhythm by your spirit at work in our lives so that we may receive that welcome one day in your place. Lord, we cling on to our faith, often by our fingertips, but we praise you that underneath it all, we have a God who is faithful. Remind us tonight, O oh God, that it is not how much or how little faith we have, but whether we step out in faith and go the way of our master. So speak to us, we pray, and change us that we might walk by faith and not by sight.